Well, if you've got your Bible, turn with me today to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 1. The message is entitled, The Message from the Manger. But I want to begin with a little video that's going to shock you at first. You're going to find yourself pulling back in your chair. But hang on because it's got a great little message to it. It's called Getting Christmas Right. This year, we're finally going to get Christmas right. If it's not Jesus, it's got to go. that really get us to focus on the reason for the season? We might find it easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater. The point of Jesus' birth was to bring God into humanity. What if we were able to see Jesus in all the traditions? The first Christmas was about God with us. Let's make this Christmas about us with God. see the joy of Christ in our kids' laughter, the love of Christ with our family, the heart of Christ in the gifts we give, the provision of Christ in the meals we share. the light of Christ as we decorate our homes, the wonder of Christ in the songs we sing, the hope of Christ in the quiet moments we share. Because when we see Jesus, we are getting Christmas right. I'll be honest now, who started squirming when they started taking the Christmas tree away? (laughs) Sure it is, because we love our Christmas traditions, and sometimes the secular world divorces Christ from them, but yet there are so many ways, just like when we talk to the children about the Christmas tree, that we can see and exalt Christ in the midst of it. Last week, we talked about King Jesus. The King is coming. You remember the angel's appearance to Mary about the birth of Christ. Well, today we're going to talk about the day of Jesus' birth and its relevance to us. It's a longer passage. I'm going to read the first half. I'll have a special guest read the second half, and then we'll kind of go through it verse by verse. But uh, let's begin. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass. Those are great words. It literally means God's clock began to turn forwards. God's will is being done on the earth. That a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went out of the city of Nazareth to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. My special guest will pick up verse 8. 
Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Well, thank you, Linus. Yesterday, my uh, grandson made a little uh, unexpected appearance for a day. So, he and Linnell stayed home last night, and, Lin and uh, Henry is watching Pops. It's what he calls me on the television. We're doing church, and Linus comes on, he gets excited, and then Pops comes back on, and he said, More Linus, more Linus. <laughs> so, anyway, Pops was sad. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Let me give you some practical, you know, the Christmas story. You'll hear it a couple more times. I hope you'll come Christmas Eve. You'll hear it. We read it on Christmas morning in our home. We know the facts of it. You could virtually tell it as it is, but I want to look at some practical application. I want to look at some relevance to an age-old story that applies to our life today. And here's the first one. It is that God is orchestrating world affairs I want you to think about our world today. I want you to pause for a moment and think about the politics that drive me insane. Uh, impeachment that's not impeachment and, you know, you know, the, you know the whole thing. They pass a, a spending bill, $1.4 trillion. Ted Cruz tells us of all the crazy stuff that's in it and how it's just against what most people believe in America. And, and those kind of things drive you nuts because you feel helpless. The dictator of North Korea says he's going to give us a Christmas present. Now they have a long-range missile that could reach America. And you, you look at these things and you feel helpless to do anything about it. But here's what I want to tell you. God is in control of world events. He doesn't control the minutia of the events. But ultimately, all that happens on the earth is ultimately uh, submitted to the Lord God Almighty. And nothing's going to happen outside of what he allows. He certainly doesn't cause the evil in the world. But God does and will control things. And that should give us great confidence and hope. Let's read the story. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. It was for taxation. Caesar Augustus was the Roman dictator, as it were. He was the most powerful man on the planet. He was a dictator. Literally, the citizens had no rights. But what I want you to see is God is using this man as a pawn in his hand. Now, verse 4, it talks about Joseph. Joseph went up from Galilee. Now, look at the orchestration of God. He goes out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. David, this is Bethlehem, uh, but the scripture says Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, yet would be raised in Nazareth. 
So God is using all these things to work together for his purpose. Because uh, Joseph was of the house and lineage of David, he went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. I want you to think about that just a moment as we talk about what Caesar did. He sends out this decree over the internet of their day. Everybody has to go to their hometown and sign a piece of paper. And lo and behold, it was at a predetermined point in time, the most powerful man in the world issued a a decree for, for taxation. But unbeknownst to him, he was fulfilling the plan of God. That God was using a pagan man to further his plan on the earth. God wanted his son to be born in Bethlehem. It was predicted 750 years earlier by the prophet Micah. And God used this man to get him there. Now that's a powerful, powerful thought. Because the same God watches over us. God used Caesar to fulfill a 750 year old prophecy. The book of Micah chapter 5 says, But you, Bethlehem, speaking prophetically of this small village among all the people of Judah, but out of Bethlehem a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past or ancient days, it's talking about Jesus, will come from you on my behalf. Joseph was his home, uh, uh, Bethlehem was his ancestral home, and God used the most powerful man in the world to get him there. Listen, God is in ultimate control of world events. And I want to tell you, listen, it's prudent for us to plan. We want to know and educate about the future. We want to participate in civic affairs and vote and all those things. But can I tell you this? I'm not in control of this earth, and you're not either. God is. Republicans are not in control, and Democrats are not in ultimate control. Come on, who is? God is. The United Nations is not in ultimate control. Iran is not in control. North Korea is not in control. The CIA is not in control. Come on, the Supreme Court is not in control. God is in control of the affairs of our lives. Let me read you a scripture to confirm this. Proverbs 21, it says, The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. I mean, the rivers follow a predetermined path based on gravity and, and, the, and the flow of the land. Uh, God says, the scripture says that God can direct the king's mind as he pleases. Now, that does not imply that everything the king does is God doing it. We are not robots. We have free will, our free will, uh, Satan's intervention, but the superintending hand of God guides it all into God's predetermined path. Listen about a man, Second Chronicles, an Old Testament figure. His name was King Cyrus of Persia. He was a pagan man. He was not a godly man. But the Scripture says in the first year of this King Cyrus... The Lord fulfilled the prophecy he'd given through Jeremiah. Now I want you to think about this. In my opinion, if you are skeptical of the claims of Christianity, fulfilled prophecy is one of the most, the greatest imperatives to give the Bible consideration for its truthfulness. And here we have recorded a prophecy of Jeremiah given 70 years earlier that after the predicted exile because of their sin, God would bring the children of Israel back to their ancestral homeland and the temple would be rebuilt. Jeremiah prophesied that, but God is going to use a pagan king to do it. Verse 23, this is what King Cyrus says, The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Isn't that imagine? Uh, Imagine that God put the power of the world under a pagan man. Scripture says that the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, has given me these kingdoms. He's appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. 
That is an incredible thought. That God can use a man that is not a Christian, that is not a Jew, was not a Jew, was not, quote, a godly man, but God used that man as a pawn in his hand. I have even heard people say that about our president, President Trump. Whether you love him or hate him, one thing you cannot, first of all, he, he's, he's not a pastoral example. I mean, he's certainly not, uh, by any definition, a committed Christian person as we would define it according to the Bible. But yet you can't argue with the fact that he has done more to protect religious freedoms in America, more to protect the nation of Israel, more to protect the rights of the unborn. I mean, those kind of things are things that concern me very much as a Christian. So regardless of what you think about him, God is using him to do some good things in our nation today. So listen... And please, that's not a pro-Republican, an anti-Democrat, or anything like that. It's just a statement of fact that things that are biblically important to us as Christian people, God is using a man, not because of him, but perhaps even in spite of him, because God has a plan on this earth he wants to accomplish. And this is what I want to tell you in this first portion of Scripture this morning. God has a plan on this earth, and no man can stop it. That you and I are under the sovereign, watchful care of Almighty God. And bad things may happen in this earth, troubling things may happen in this earth, but we never have to be concerned that God is on vacation and God doesn't care because God holds this world in the palm of his hand and he's taking it towards a predetermined end. The world is going to have to walk through a figure called the Antichrist. There will be difficult days ahead, but our God is still good, our God is still king, and our God is still in control. Come on, give him a big hand today. Now, the second point is, is a question, but I want to ask you this question. Why was Jesus born in a manger? Now, when we say the word manger, it sounds very pastoral. It sounds kind of idyllic, but it, what a manger was was really an animal trough. Now, I was raised on a farm, and uh, we would have cows in the barn, and uh, I would feed those cows, and it stunk like, you know what? It stunk like cow poop. And that cow would even sometimes go close to the trough where she'd be fed and accidentally do her business there. I mean, it was not a pretty place. And this is what I want you to see. If we can kind of take the prettiness off of Christmas just a minute and ask ourselves, why a manger? Luke 2 verse 6, while they were there, the days were completed for Mary to, be, or Mary to deliver her child. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Now, this is interesting. If a king was going to be born today, well, my, my little, uh, uh, I have another grandson, Titus. He's about four months old. And uh, he sleeps in something called a sleep sack. I had no, we didn't have those when I was raising little babies. We just put a blanket on them. But apparently today you don't, you don't have blankets. So, uh, so, uh, uh, we got him a sleep sack for Christmas, but my wife couldn't put it on him because it hadn't been washed. So he's ready to go to bed, and we're washing the sleep sack. But before you know it, he's in this little thing. It's cute. It's warm. It's fuzzy. It's got wool in it. I thought, shoot, I'd like to sleep in that thing. <laughs> and that's just for, you know, the preacher here in Texas. Imagine if, if, you know, if I was, you know, the king of Great Britain or, 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 or whatever, what royalty would give to their child? Well, what baby Jesus was wrapped in, it was strips of cloth. If you have an old t-shirt that's dirty, it's got holes in it, and you get ready to throw it away, and your husband says, no, I'll polish my shoes with it, he tears it in pieces, 
and they can dip it in the in Louis shoes and buff them up. That's what Jesus wore. And did you know swaddling cloth, these cloths were also used to wrap the dead in their day. And it was, a, it was an anticipation of his birth. Notice it said there's no, uh, they laid him in a manger, there's no room in the inn. Uh, I've often wondered if an angel got fired because he forgot to make hotel reservations. <laughs> I mean, if you were coming to Texas, I think probably the nicest hotel to my knowledge is this Hilton Garden Inn. Nice place. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus was going to be born in Texarkana and the secretary forgot to make him a reservation? I mean, it would be, it would be problems. I mean, we have problems today, but, but something's different here. Joseph and Mary travel 90 miles on a donkey. It's like from Texarkana to Sulphur Springs. Can you imagine ladies being nine months pregnant and riding a donkey all the way to Sulphur Springs? Well, this is how the king of the world came in. Uh, Jesus was born, tradition tells us, more than likely in a cave. Uh, the inn was like it was a, like a hotel, but it was for caravans that came through. So, I mean, it was not clean and nice and pretty. Jesus didn't even get that. He's born in a cave. Why? I'm going to show you a picture of modern royalty. Uh, Prince William, I think they're uh, of, of Britain. Uh, Prince William and, and Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, they're dressed in the world's finest. Look at their two children, Prince George and Princess Charlotte. I mean, this is how royalty is treated today. If they go to New York, they're going to stay in the, you know, in, in, in one of the, uh, the presidential suites of the finest hotel. Uh, look at the, the little baby. Uh, look at the little princess's room. This is where she stays. See how beautiful it is? It's true. See her little crib on the right side there? Everything in, in the room is perfect. But look where Jesus stayed. The creator of the world, the sustainer of the world, the Savior of the world, and the Judge of the world. Why did Jesus enter the world like this? And I don't know a lot about it, but I want to give you a little bit of what I know. Perhaps it's an example for us to show us how God elevates the lowly and humble and rejects the pride, the prideful and the mighty. So where do you get that, Pastor? That, that, that humility is the path to greatness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Though Jesus was God, He did not think of equality with God as something to cling on to, but He gave up His divine privileges. I mean, know oh, Jesus could have come and demanded the finest things on earth, and everyone would have known He was the King, but He didn't come that way. He gave it all up. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being. And therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. He emptied himself of his rights. In today's world, of, in our political world, in identity politics, we pit groups against each other. And every group demands its rights. Uh, politicians run on giving uh, money to the rights of some neglected group and we hate each other because of the group they're in and all that. Jesus was not standing for his rights. He was giving them up. Humility is a core value of a genuine Christian. Now, the opposite is pride, and it's easy for me to understand pride. I mean, no, you can see it in movies. You can, when somebody has it and they have an arrogance about them and they look down their nose at you, you feel it. We don't, it's hard to grasp what humility is. 
humility is a bit abstract. Let me, let me talk about it a little bit. Uh, humble people realize their total and absolute need for God. A humble person is not a weak person. Moses was described as the meekest man on the earth. Meekness is the same as humility, but Moses was anything but weak. He just realized his total need for God. Humble people realize, now listen, that all they are, that all they have, and that all they'll ever do is because of the kindness and mercy of God. Certainly humility has an aspect of how I relate to other people. But humility also has a dimension of how I understand myself in relation to God. And I live with this independence, but humble people are dependent on God for everything. Now, if I were to ask you today how many are dependent on God for everything, I would imagine most of us would raise our hands. I would have raised my hands five years ago. I would have said it from my mouth, but it would not have been real deep in my heart. We live in a world today that if you're going to get ahead, you just about got to kind of push your way in there. You got to get the best grades. You got to be the fastest. You got to be the best. You got to be tough. You got to, you know, you got to do what you got to do to get there. But sometimes it makes us feel like we're self-made people. Sometimes it feels like, you know, our politicians had this big brouhaha several years ago when our president told someone, you didn't build that. And the, you know, the local business leader said, yes, I did. And the president's talking about roads and he's talking about his responsibility. But how many know nobody could do anything apart from God? Nobody could survive without the, the oxygen God puts in the air. Nobody could survive if God didn't keep the cycle of water replenished on the earth. Nobody could survive if God didn't hold in place the law of gravity. Nobody could ride an airplane were it not for the laws of aerodynamics that work. You see, God is behind these unseen things. And, and we're out in the world striving, but somehow we don't recognize, and often until a crisis, how much we truly depend on God. I had this happen to me, and I'd like to share a, a personal story. A number of years ago, after my wife had breast cancer, I had a meltdown after she got better, and, and I went in this... All they could call it was an anxiety disorder. I never liked the term. It didn't describe, it didn't fit in my mind. But I was basically not functional for three months. I mean, I just, I couldn't come to church. I couldn't preach. And I found myself helpless to almost do anything. But in that process, it broke me down in terms of self-reliance. And I found a strength in God to do things I couldn't do on my own. And I realized it's in Him that I live and move and have my being. I realized that human weakness is not something to run away from, but human weakness is something to rejoice in because it's in our weakness that we can find His strength. We can lose our independence and find dependence on God and do even greater things than we could have ever done before. It is the path of brokenness. It is the path of humility. It is a hard path. Listen, I, 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 I wish I'd never had gone through that, but I would never give anything for what I have learned and experienced and the person that it made me by going through that dark valley. It is the path of humility that is perhaps the great message of the manger that the way up is the way down. James 4 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Come on, give him a hand today. He's worthy of praise. Let's look at verse 8. The third point is another question. But why is there such joy and happiness at Christmas? 
Well, if I asked those kids here, they would say because of Santa Claus. Did you hear when I asked the kids earlier, you might have missed this one, but I asked the kids who got me a present and nobody raised their hands and then one said, Santa Claus will. Well, listen, that's fun for kids. It's fun for them just like it is for us. But listen, that's not the ultimate joy. Most people, particularly if somebody would ask you uh, after, at lunchtime on Christmas Day, what would you get for Christmas? Lots of people couldn't even think of a thing or two. It's like those kind of things don't last. There's something that's lasting. Where does, what is this joy and happiness that Christmas come from? Scripture says there were some in the same country, shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. And then he tells us why. There's born to you this day in the city of David in Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It reminds me of the song Joy to the World. It was written in the uh, early 1700s by Isaac Watts. He was a Methodist minister. He actually wrote it from Psalm 98 about the second coming of Christ. But its words are so applicable to the first. This is why we sing it at Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive our King. But my question is still this. Why does Christmas or Jesus' birth offer such joy and happiness? It's because, as the Scripture says, unto you is born this day a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let me share a little bit of my testimony, if I can, to make this message a little personal. Um, I was raised in a small town, actually not a town, I was raised out in the country, in North Mississippi. Uh, I lived between Hernando and Coldwater. I'm sure you know exactly where that is. It was a little place called Love Station. It was near Arkabutla. Surely you know where that is. Independence. No. Well, anyway, I was raised in the country. I had a great little life. Uh, we certainly weren't wealthy, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't know we didn't have a lot, but we had a great life. Uh, my grandparents lived uh, in kind of the duplex out in the country. Uh, I had, uh, for a pet, I had goats and cows and geese and chickens and, and every turtles and everything else under the... I mean, I had just a great, a great life growing up. Uh, I was smart enough where I didn't have to study at school and could still get all A's. Um, I was athletic and uh, in high school, which I got my training chasing chickens. Um, hey, you're laughing at me. Let me tell you how it worked. My granddaddy had chickens, and uh, every once in a while he'd want to let them out so they could eat grass. Well, then they'd get wild, and they would roost in the trees. And when he wanted them back in the chicken house to get the eggs, uh, he'd have me go catch them. And literally what I would do is 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, those chickens, I would see one, and we had this big barn. And those chickens would just start running around the barn. Well, I would just run around the barn until I finally caught them, and that chicken's on the ground going, and I'd just grab it and put it in there. So, I mean, that's kind of how I was raised, and I was great at sports. I had trophies all over the walls. Uh, as I got older, I always had a date, and I'd usually be dating somebody different every few weeks. You can kind of understand how that goes. Then I had friends saying, look, you'll be happier if you drink beer. And I thought, great, I'll try that too. Uh, the only thing I got was a headache in the morning. You may understand what I'm talking about. And sometimes not knowing where you left your car. That's lots of fun now. Lots of fun. And then the crowd came up and said, light up with me. And I said, okay, that must be fun too. And what I was looking for is for happiness. I was looking for joy, but I wasn't looking for it in the manger. 
And every time I would try something, it just wouldn't make me happy perpetually. I was so proud of that Pleasant, Hawk, uh, the Pleasant Grove Hawks winning the state title. I mean, is that great or is that great? I mean, th those kids will remember that the rest of their life. I mean, can you imagine being in the newspaper two days in a row? I mean, you get the lead story. But over time, that'll disappear. Over time, that trophy will be just like my trophies are, somewhere in a box in the garage. And the only point I'm making is, none of those things make you perpetually happy. And when I was 19 years of age, it all kind of came to a, a head in my life. Because I've noticed that the way God works is there are opportune moments in your life where you become aware of your need for God. It's like the Holy Spirit is calling you, and you can either say yes or no. Well, I had a yes moment when I was 19. Uh, I, I can remember when I was 19, and, and I was driving the tractor for my dad. I was cultivating soybeans, and uh, it, it just out in the country. The only person I'd see was my granddaddy that would bring me lunch. In the afternoons, I would cry. Now think about it. Here's a guy on an athletic scholarship, decent looking, some money in his pocket, beer in the trunk. You know, uh, life is made. Everything is good. Why in the world would he have tears in his eyes? It's because the things that I thought would make me happy never did. And then I got this wild idea, I'm going to join the military. And just before I left to join the military, a Gideon gave me a Bible. And he said, if you'd read this book, Jesus would change your life. I devoured it. I wouldn't read just a verse or a chapter. I'd read books at a time. Five days after I, 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 he gave me that Bible, it had a plan of salvation in the back, taught me how to pray, and asked God to forgive my sins and commit my life to Christ. I did that on August 15, 1976. And I've got to tell you, 43 years later, I'm still happy. And I'm happier than I was when I was drinking and partying. I'm happier than I was, listen, with the trophies and everything else. It's a joy that comes in a person's life when they're rightly related to God. And the message of the Christmas is, joyful is the sound because, listen, Christ our Savior is born. Come on, give him a big, a big hand today let's keep going uh, verse 12 the Christ child brings peace peace in our heart and peace with God uh, Luke 2 verse 12 this will be a sign to you you'll find a baby this is to the shepherds wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, say it with me, peace. Peace, goodwill towards men. Now I want you to think about peace just a moment. There's this inner peace and then there's peace with God. Inner peace, we know what it's like, we know what it feels like. Inner tranquility, freedom from oppression and worry. and we, we know what it's like to toss and turn. Well, I want to tell you, friends, Jesus is the source of peace like I've never found. I mean, when you, I mean, we have an opioid crisis in America today. It's because people are in pain. They're not just in physical pain. They are in psychological pain. This is not intended in any form of condemnation. I'm grateful for what medicines are able to help us with. But sometimes... We have so much pain in our life that we either self-medicate through alcohol or drugs or other things. I'm telling you, friends, you can find a peace that passes all understanding through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you it's real. Jesus said this in John 14. Jesus said, I'm leaving you, leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. 
And the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Listen, that doesn't mean that you'll never be worried. That doesn't mean that you won't ever have problems. It just simply means in the problems, you're going to find the problem solver. It just means in the middle of the storm, you're going to find a safe place to go. Uh, We experience this. Again, my wife had breast cancer. Praise the Lord. She's, what, six years cancer-free now. I rejoice with God for that. But uh, I remember when the doctor first told us. How many know if you get a mammogram and they call you back the next day and says the doctor wants to see you, how many know that's usually not good? And i got to be honest, I don't go to the gynecologist with my wife. But that day I knew I needed to. And we walked in that room and it was a somber feeling. You just got the feeling the nurses knew. And just as matter-of-factly as I'm talking to you, he told me your wife has cancer. It's as a serious, aggressive kind. If you don't treat her quickly, she'll die. Well, have me know, that shakes your world. I remember what it's like to go in the parking lot and just put my arms around her. I remember what it's like to be laying in bed at night and put your hand over there and just, she might have gotten up to go to the bathroom, but thinking like, what if she's not here? Well, can I tell you, friend, in the middle of that, a couple days of that, where I'm reading my Bible one morning, not looking for something desperate, just doing what I do every day. And I read a passage, and it was not in particular context, but it was these simple words, all is well. And it was just like the creator of the universe had just spoken to me. And the anxiety lifted, the trouble lifted, and peace overwhelmed my soul. And it's like we were in a holy bubble for the rest of the process. I'm telling you the Prince of Peace has come to this earth. I'm telling you that Jesus Christ can give you what no man can give you. No drink can give you. No bottle can give you. No drug can give you. Jesus can give you something that's real and it's lasting. You may go through troubles and you may shake a little bit, but you're not going to shake, rattle, and roll till you fall apart. How many know you're going to come out on the other side because God is good and God is real and His peace is eternal to all of us. Well, let me, uh, let, me, let me wrap up with this. Of course, that second kind of peace is peace with God because our sin is canceled. Romans says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, peace with God, it's not like God is angry at us. It's just like our sin troubled our relationship. When I was a teenager, I brought something in my, in my mother's home. Uh, none of your business what it is, but uh, 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 I brought something in my house, and she happened to find it, and I couldn't lie myself out of it. You've done it too. There was not peace in the Miller home. My mother was in turmoil until I got rid of that thing. That's what Jesus did on the cross. Sin messed up our family. Sin messed us up between God. But the scripture says in Romans, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll close with this last thought. Uh, Luke 2 verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from the shepherds into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, listen to this, they made widely known the saying. Another translation, excuse me, translation says they spread the word which was told them concerning this child. 
Now, here's the point I want to leave you with today. The message of the baby in the manger is too important to keep to ourselves. What Jesus Christ has done for humanity is too important just to keep. We must tell as many as we can that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is born. This is why I say Merry Christmas to everyone. This is why we display manger scenes at Christmas. This is why we invite people to the Christmas Eve service. I stopped by a bank the other day. Someone told me that uh, uh, one of the uh, bank officers had been coming to church. I wanted to meet him. Uh, he was on vacation, and I found myself talking to two of the tellers. And before I know it, I'm, I, I pulled out my invitation, and I'm giving them giving one to Christmas Eve service. Well, there was another teller uh, that was with someone, and I didn't want to interrupt them. And as I start walking out, this, this third teller says, I've heard some good things about Church on the Rock. And I said, thank you. Believe the good things, but don't believe the rest. And she laughed just like you did. But I went back, and before you know it, I'm talking to her, and I'm talking to the person that was a customer, and I'm inviting both of them. You say, why are you doing that, Pastor? You're not even going to be here Christmas Eve. You're going to see your family in Mississippi. Yeah, I'll be in Mom's Christmas Eve service. I do it because I know people come to Christ when they're in the presence of the Lord. And this is why, this is why, this Christmas season, I want you to do everything you can to bring the real Christ the Christmas tree and, and maybe even tell the story that, that Santa Claus originated from a guy named St. Nick. He was, he was the bishop uh, in 200 AD and he was known as being a generous person. And that's where the gift giving that's today secularized came from. Help people see the connectedness. When they look at a tree, whether it's alive or real, help them remind them that God is the creator. That that tree didn't evolve from whatever, but that tree was created by the loving God who is still with us today. How many know he is Emmanuel, God with us, and the world needs what we have, the Prince of Peace. Give Jesus a big hand today. He is worthy of all our praise. Watch you stand to your feet and I'm going to close in prayer with you today and just honored and delighted that you came to be with us today. If your family wants to celebrate Christmas Eve 6 to 7 right here, you get here early for a seat. But I just want you to just focus just a second. I don't I don't know what you're doing for Christmas, but I pray that Jesus is in the middle of it. I I know some of us will have family all around us. Some of us may be alone. But let me say this, you're not alone because Christ is with us. Allow yourself the freedom to get out of your little world and bring the love of Christ to those that need it. I want to ask you before we go today, if you'll bow your head just a moment, and I'd like for us just to pause on perhaps some of the things that we've talked about today. And I want you, as I kind of rehearse these, maybe you want to utter a prayer to God. As we began talking about God being in ultimate control of the world, maybe fear has gripped you for the future. Can I tell you, friend, he's got the whole world in his hands and you can trust him. He, gave, he got a virgin to have a baby. He made him go 90 miles to get back home and he used a pagan king to do it. God is in control, not only of America, but of your life. And if you are truly submitted to God's plan for your life, you'll find there's a divine hand guiding you. Maybe it was that path of humility that got you today. Maybe you struggle with independence. Maybe you're like I was, self-made and not a bad person. But in 
never really come to a deep understanding that I owe everything to God. The next breath I breathe and the next word I speak. You might tell the Lord that, Lord, it's the path of humility that I want. I'm going to go down to go up. Maybe when we talked about joy and happiness that lasts, maybe it's missing in your life. Peace. Maybe it's way too elusive. Would you just ask the Lord right now to bring you to a place where His peace and His joy are the defining marks of your life? None of us are where we perhaps totally should be. But we want to be headed in that direction. And could you ask the Lord right now, Lord, would you lead me to a place in life where I'll experience the happiness and the joy and the peace that only the Savior brings? In Jesus' name. We're going to close this way with one last song. And if you can just hang on till the song is over to be dismissed. And the reason I ask that is because people are making steps to Christ. Um, we're going to ask, as we always do, if you'd like prayer. Oftentimes during a message, it just seems like we kind of drop our, you know, whatever, our walls, our barriers, and we just get a little closer to God. And maybe you feel a need in your heart to have someone pray with you before we go. We'll pray with you about anything. Maybe you just need to talk to somebody. We'd be honored to, to, to do that with you right around the altar. But a huge request. Perhaps there's many in the room today that identified when I was talking about what my life was like when I was 19. It's like Jesus was, if the cross represents him, I knew Jesus was real. I believed in him, but I wasn't going his way. I was going my way. And I was looking for happiness in all sorts of places. But I found I couldn't get enough trophies. I couldn't get enough A's to be lasting happiness. I couldn't find enough girls to find lasting happiness. None of the things that the world told me was going to make me happy really did because it was missing something in my heart. And I found when I made a decision, it was August 15, 1976, that rather than going this way, I did two things. I turned to the Christ of the cross. And I said, Lord, I believe in you. And number two, I said, Lord, I want to follow you. And it was a very simple prayer prayed in a Navy barracks August 15, 1976, but it changed my life. And if you're here today and say, Pastor, I need that same kind of life change in my life. I'm ready to get my life right with God. I'm ready to begin serving God. And whether it was the first time you've ever prayed a prayer like this, or you have walked with God in the past but gotten away, and today you want to come back with God. You want to find His will and His purpose for your life. You want to commit your life for Christ today. If that's you, we would be honored to pray with you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right now and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life right with God. God bless you. Give him a big hand. Others today say, pray for me. I want to, I want to get my life right with God. God bless you too, sir. Anybody else say, pray for me. In the back, God bless you. Others say, pray for me. I, I want to get my life right with God. All right, well, here's how we're going to close. You that raised your hands, when they begin to sing, I'm going to encourage you to just slip out of your chair and come and meet us at the cross. Let us pray with you. Let us give you something. And uh, I promise you, it will help you as you make the greatest step of your life. Go ahead and begin to sing, Pastor Zach. Our prayer team is coming to the altar right now. They're here to pray for you if you need prayer. But you that lifted your hands, just come on, slip out of your chair. 
Make your way over to the cross and someone will be there to pray for you. Give them one more big hand as they come today. Whether you raise your hand or not, you want to get your life right with God, you want to commit to Christ, come make your way to the cross and somebody will pray for you. I love you. Sing with us this last song.